The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Support for this show comes from the Utopia Foundation, committed to providing opportunities for people to express their good intentions in local and international communities. Learn how you can create positive change in the world at utopiafound.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Have you ever thought about your own death and how you'd like to be buried? Have you considered cremation or organ donation or giving your body to science? What about green burial? My guest today, Brian Wilson, is one of the directors of the amazing film A Will for the Woods. The movie follows psychiatrist and musician Clark Wang as he prepares for his own green burial while battling lymphoma. Brian Wilson, welcome to Essential Conversations. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, this is a pleasure. I watched the film. It was very moving, also very well done. The whole idea was not new to me, but you brought it, this isn't ironic, you brought it to life. You brought death to life Mm. in a way that was very, very powerful. Give us a sense of who Clark Wang was and his partner Jane and and how this whole movie came about. Well, thank you for your words about the film. I, I really like you describe it as bringing death to life. That's a new one. Oh, I love that. Clark Wong was a psychiatrist and a musician and a folk dancer, really multifaceted man who had been diagnosed with terminal lymphoma and over time came to see the toxicity of his environment as one of the main likely causes of his illness. And that eventually led him to discover green burial. He eventually found his way to a local conventional cemetery Diane Maskovich, who was interested and open to the idea of preserving a part of the adjacent woods that they owned and that would have eventually been turned into Morlan Cemetery. But instead, she worked with Clark and they established a green burial woods and that section of forest is now protected as woods. So there's a scene in the film where they're talking about ultimately, I think it's a hundred thousand, a million acres, a hundred thousand acres. Now I can't remember the exact number. A million acres is the, a mi- the, a know, million acres. the dream but that they throw around. if you claim a certain area, even much smaller, just a few acres, it seemed to suggest that you could actually save a much larger area because you can't do anything else with it. Yeah, in some cases, that's one potential model that the funds from a smaller area that's designated as a green burial ground would protect a larger area. But in general, what's been actually happening is that those areas that are the cemeteries are the ones that are getting protected for now. Some people would like to cast a wider net with a given cemetery, but for the most part, what's been happening is that the land that the cemetery is on is the land that is being protected. So the woods that uh, Clark managed to save as woods was part of a cemetery. The cemetery owned it and eventually would have clear-cut it and just put in, like you said, lawn burial. Right. 
And they still have quite a bit of other forest that is still forest, but is not yet protected. So the dream is that if the green burial ground continues to grow, that perhaps they could protect even more land. Give give us a sense of of what the green burial movement is. At the most basic level, uh, sort of independent of the conservation aspect, it's putting only biodegradable materials into the ground. So no embalming fluid, only biodegradable containers. So that would usually be either a shroud or a simple casket. In Clark's case, his casket was made by his friend from a chicken coop that was going to be torn down. And so it was reused wood and softwood. It was pine, so it breaks down pretty easily. Unlike in conventional burial, there's no interference with the natural processes of breakdown. So the body is allowed to become part of the soil and eventually part of the plants and part of the animals that eat from those plants. And so the cycle is kept unbroken. My dad passed away maybe six weeks ago or so. So sorry. Thank you. And and according to the traditional Jewish way of doing things, he was wrapped in a shroud that was a plain pine box. There's no metal. You know, all the fasteners are wood. And the idea is very much what you were talking about in a green burial, ashes to ashes, everything goes back to the earth. Yet the state often requires, in this case, a concrete bunker kind of thing where the body is placed. Do you run into that with green burial? I mean, how do you get around laws of the state? I don't know about this particular state, but in general, it's more often the cemeteries that require those vaults, and the the state does not take a stand on that, because essentially it's a a landscaping device that prevents the ground from stinking. Easier mowing. Okay, they tell you it's the state mandated, but it's actually mandated by the groundskeepers. Generally speaking, that's my understanding. (laughs) There might be some counties or states where that's a law, but I haven't heard that. In general, I believe it's it's more of a regulation of, of individual cemeteries. People have, may have more options than they think. So our listeners, if they're thinking right. about exploring this and someone says, wait, this is a mandate from the state, challenge that a bit and see if it's actually the case then. A, a lot of funeral directors and cemeterians might not know that there's a demand for other options too. So it's important for them to know that, that people are looking for a wider range of options than they typically offer. So are you seeing that, you know, now that you've made the film and, and you're showing it around the world and it's won all these awards, are you seeing this increase in, in interest? Yeah, there have been, and there have been several more sites have opened in the U.S. since we we started film, filming five years ago, and there has been a growth in it. Don't know the exact numbers now, but we pay attention to the Green Burial Council website. They certify cemeteries and funeral homes, and that list is always growing. People who are offering this. Give that website out so people want to check. Yeah, it's greenburialcouncil.org. All right, so you can check out and see where else that's happening. What if you wanted to do it yourself? So. Could people go to a local cemetery and say, even show the film, A Will for the Woods, and say, look, we'd like to try this here? Absolutely. And and we have community screening licenses and educational licenses available on our website, which is awillforthewoods.com, as well as some other information which might be helpful to people. So that's showing the film we're hoping, you know, has been an advocacy tool for a lot of people already, and we're hoping that continues. We feel like Clark's story is a really powerful portrait of the comfort that this can give at the end of life. And we've seen that a lot of people are sharing that feeling. It's been very gratifying. We've been to a lot of screenings that various groups have sponsored. We just went to one in the, in the Berkshires in Western Mass last weekend that a group that's trying to get a green cemetery started in Massachusetts sponsored. And there was a lot of excitement in the audience. You know, it's interesting because I, I watched the film. Then I went driving around to the cemetery where I live and there's no wooded area left. I mean, they've basically clear cut the whole thing. They don't use it all yet for grave signs, you know, for, for graves. But 
There's nothing to save. It's all gone. I'm always wondering how long cemeteries themselves will last because they've got prime real estate and it's very expensive. And I'm wondering if at some point, I don't know what the laws would be around this, but if you've seen anything like this where the cemetery says, all right, let's just move everybody mm. and put up a mall because mm-hmm. you can make a lot more money with a shopping center or a Walmart than uh, you know burying people. Have you seen that that sort of pressure on conventional cemeteries? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, I, I guess that is a concern with even with green cemeteries as well, that if you protect this land, generally people are putting deeds on, conservation easements on, and those are durable, but perhaps not invincible over many years. But that's why I love the idea of folding these two uses together. We need more land that is protected as habitat for animals and that cleans the air and the water for us and everybody else. And so if we can make our burial grounds also serve an ecological purpose that can feed two birds with one scone, can serve a purpose other than just being a memorial ground. And arguably, we as a society can stand behind that. Okay, I can't let that go without some comment. (laughs) Feed Feed two birds with one scone. That's great. <laughs> I heard that, yeah, a couple of, couple of years ago, and I really loved it. Yeah, uh, well, I love it also. It. <laughs> Thank you for putting that out there. You know, there's a there's a part of the movie where you're going through a oh, it looks like a convention for funeral directors. It's cut very fast, so you, it goes very quickly through the the halls of the various products that are being marketed. And there's one where I can have parts of my DNA shot into outer space. It looks like one is supposed to crash into the moon and yeah. one is orbiting the Earth. Or I can take my hair even or other parts of my body, I suppose, and have them burned into carbon and then crushed into a diamond so I can be a an albatross around the necks of my children forever. <laughs> I don't know what the idea is there. When you did the movie and you're, and you're talking to these people, and, and I'll come in a second, we'll talk about your, your little meeting with people who do conventional burial. When you go to places like this, like a convention for funeral directors or people in that industry, do you get a sense of what the motivation is? I mean, I'm, I'm going to die, but I just can't let that happen. So I'm you know, going to crash into the moon or I'm going to become a piece of jewelry. I mean, what do you think motivates these other kinds of desires, you know, other than green burial? Well, I do think there's a lot of denial, a very powerful urge to denial that maybe to some extent we all have. It's a scary subject. And we've developed these customs in the last 150 years that tend to push away the truth of what's happening. And I do think it's in the name of helping people. But I think it's ultimately misguided because I think it just creates more fear rather than embracing, in a sense, what's happening and the truth of what's happening and will happen to all of us and to not stand in the way of it. And in that, allow it to be the beautiful part of life that it is. This, to me and many others, is a kind of immortality, you might say, where you literally the nutrient material in our bodies can live on in the soil. And that's very comforting to me. And on top of that, to have the landscape be your memorial, as one of the characters in the film says, Joe Seahe from the Green Burial Council. The landscape is is people's memorial in this case, and I think I couldn't imagine a more fitting and comforting memorial for a life to to watch over that land after death. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26 at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. 
Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, and, and to really be a part of it. I mean, that's what's, that's what's happening. And you're being recycled into the planet from which you arose. Exactly. It seemed, and I, I guess I didn't know if this was just unique to the film or this is a general trend, but there was, I guess you call it the monuments, the plaques. People just sort of had engraved stones laid on the spot where they were buried. Is that, do people put up crosses or, or monuments more formal or? No, I mean, it varies from site to site, but the most typical approach is a field stone, often that's gathered on site and laid flat. So a little bit less of a visual intrusion on the landscape, but most people still want some kind of literal memorializations. So that's what most people are doing in some places. There will be a group marker instead, just in one location, and some cemeteries are even using GPS to locate the different burial spots so that there might not be a marker, but you could still say this is my mother's spot or this is my, you know, this is my loved one's spot here with or without a marker. But the most typical thing is these flat, these field stones laid, laid flat. And that's, that's what Clark has in the film. Yeah. It was very beautiful. I mean, I thought about, Oh, what would I put on my, I thought maybe don't tread on me. Just you know, <laughs> don't walk on me here. You know, but, but your idea with the GPS, I mean, then Siri knows where you are forever. It's, <laughs> Interesting. Somebody should know, you know, Siri, where is my dad? I love the simplicity of the stone in the film. Uh, It's dear nature. Thank you, Evelyn. Yes, right. That's at Ramsey Creek in South Carolina, which is another site that we profile in the film. I noticed that one. You you highlight that one. Hmm. And then, of course, I don't know who Evelyn was. I don't have a last name. I don't have birth dates or death dates. And what struck me about that, it was so humbling. I got the sense that she was basically, I come from this planet. I'm back to the planet. I'm just saying thank you. You don't need to know when I started because I really started millions of millions of years ago and I'm going to go on millions and millions of years, just not egoically. Right, yeah. right. Not, not as this being named Evelyn, Evelyn. but some yeah. form this energy continues. And yeah, I, I love the simplicity and the humility of it. It really yeah. gets to the heart of the, heart of the it, matter. It was very powerful. I was wondering, you know, in your work with Clark, at one point, uh, you're sitting around, or he's sitting around with his friends talking about, he's done as much as he can with the medical establishment. He's, this is not a movie that, that says don't use hospitals, don't go. It's not that kind of approach. But he says, I've basically taken this as far as I can go and I'm turning it over to God. What was his, do you, do you have a sense of what his belief system was? I think he was wrestling with that a little bit at the end of, of life. He was raised as a Lutheran, I think, and I don't think he ever fully left that as far as I understand. But he was kind of coming back to it and trying to resolve some things in his life toward the end. And he found himself a little more actively drawn to Christianity and as well as continuing to fight for his life. I mean, he definitely, as you say, he continued to um, to use the medical model even beyond when his doctor said that there would be much benefit because he just wanted to live so badly. But he, well, he was young. Say, I mean, he yes, wasn't. he was only 49. He was yeah, like 42 right. I mean, when he was diagnosed. Yeah, my dad was 89, so he's, you know, he said, well, mm-hmm. look, this is, <laughs> let's not pretend here. <laughs> so there's a sort of a jarring disconnect. I noticed that at the very end of his life, you show him, you're in the hospital, he's unconscious, he's in the hospital bed, there's tubes everywhere, wires everywhere, machines everywhere. And then from there, you go to the green burial, and it's so simple, and it's so elegant. And I can't imagine a more clear 
and like I said, jarring disconnect between his end of life and his his actual burial. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I, that's come up um, a fair amount in Q and A's when we've shown the film. And one thing I, I like about it is that it does show that you don't have to have a perfect death to have a beautiful burial. Yeah. And he was a doctor, you know, he was a psychiatrist, so he was steeped in in the medical as well as the more environmentally friendly stuff that he had had an awakening to later on in life. And uh, he was trying everything, you know, and I, I get yeah. that. Well, good for him. I mean, I think that makes the movie, it, it allows the movie to speak to a broader uh, range of people than, oh, yes, I'm just going to, you know, na- everything's just natural. I'm not going to do anything. And so, so, so I, I think that's, that's a very good point. Great. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about when you, uh, the, the conversation with, the, the people from the conventional burial world who felt clearly in this in the in the film who felt very threatened by this whole thing uh the one guy who was he says look i'm your friend but let's not give the opinion that for all these years we've been doing it wrong mm. so what is the response of the establishment are they they are um i think they're gradually waking up to the fact that some people really do want this and i i think I think, you know, we are seeing more and more people starting to offer it. There's some resistance, as there was to cremation when it first came out. When it, that, that, you know, now it's like 50% of the U.S. market, but there was a lot of pushback from the conventional industry at first to that. Um, so I, I think it's key that people who are drawn to this initiate those conversations if they're not being initiated for them and let people know that this is valuable to them. You know, and and I think that there's great potential for for the the conventional industry to grow into offering a, a larger spectrum of options. And as far as cremation goes, cremation environmentally is quite bad for the for the earth. Well, it's that is a subject of some debate in green burial world. Some people consider it on the spectrum of greener options compared to conventional burial. It is less resource intensive less polluting. The concrete vaults alone use so much energy to make. The embalming fluid is problematic, especially for the... There's been a connection between embalming fluid and uh, emphysema among funeral directors, and there are just so many problems with the conventional burial that, by comparison, cremation is, is greener, but it's still an industrial process that uses a fair amount of energy and and most of the nutrient, all of the nutrient material within the body is lost in vapor, and you're left with the bones, which then get pulverized. And it's, um, it's, it gets a little romanticized, I think. To me, it's a, it's, it's a big waste, and it's an unnecessary input of energy into a system that's already intact. So. What's your plan? I don't, how how old are you? Are you are you well? I'm, I'm 42, and as far as I know, I'm well. All right. So, like we're saying, Judaism, you should live to be 120. <laughs> and then, what are you planning to do? Well, it's it's a, it's that's what, this is one of the challenges I think with burial is that uh, people are so peripatetic, and I don't I don't know for sure that this is this will be my forever home. I've been in New York for a long time, and I love a lot about it, but um, I may end up moving around some. So I haven't. I haven't put anything in writing. We don't have any, we don't have any green burial sites in the immediate area, or else I, I would, that would be an easier choice. They're a little further away. There are some great ones, but ones in New Jersey, 
several hours away. And then there's one up around Ithaca. Um, but that's quite far from me. So I, I would love, I want a green burial. Definitely. Okay. But I, as far as where, that's the trick. All right. Very interesting. Thank you very much. My guest today was Brian Wilson. You can learn more about his film at www.awillforthewoods.com and more about the Green Burial Movement at www.greenburialcouncil.org. Brian, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you. It's been great talking with you. This week's show was sponsored by the Utopia Foundation, providing the opportunity for people to create solutions that contribute toward a more equitable world. Please visit them at utopiafound.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can visit our website, spiritualityhealth.com, to subscribe to the magazine and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.